Why did you help us? Three-Eyed Raven sent for me. Three-Eyed Raven's dead. Now he lives again. <laughs> when I last saw you, you were a boy. A fearless boy. Loved to climb the castle walls and frighten his mother. Who are you? Game of Thrones. Oh my god. There's dragons. You gotta watch it. You see them. There's this fight scene. They just hear And some of them are really small. Winter's coming. I'm gonna be helpless. The guy that wants to see them for a while. I'll see what he did. Watch your ass. I cannot give you back your homes or restore your dead to life, but perhaps I can give you justice in the name of our Welcome back to the Coffee Clyde's crew, Game of Thrones episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today... We're reviewing episode five, Blood of My Blood. Directed by Jack Bender again, this time written by Brian Cogman. First episode this season that hasn't been written by Benioff and Weiss. And Brian Cogman had a good quote from an interview in regards to the Arya scene where she's watching the play. He says, being able to comment on the show and the reactions through the players was so much fun. We were able to lovingly spoof ourselves, but also play with ideas about how audiences view the show, good and bad, and how a perspective of a story changes. So I thought that was good. His comment on how they use that play to sort of be a little bit meta, I guess. Also, Rotten Tomatoes gave this one a 7.9 out of 10. So we're pretty far down from where we from were yesterday, last, last episode. Week. But that was one of the highest ratings I've ever seen mm-hmm. a show get last week. Well, you can't. Everyone can't be. I mean, it's not like it was bad. It's just they all can't be nines. And it know? was a different kind of feeling the way this episode was put together. Yes. It wasn't as fast paced moving through all of your main characters. We took a little bit more of a deep dive into some of them. Yeah. And perhaps some characters that we didn't see as being major characters. We'll talk about that more later. And this director, this is his second one of the two. Correct. Um, normally, the the second one's the bang, but he started with a bang. Right. Which is nice. It was a different feel. Yeah, I appreciate it. I think he did a really good job with these last two episodes. I really enjoyed this one. Another fun fact, there were two scenes where there was really incredible backdrop scenery castles. One of them was in King's Landing with the scene at the Great Sept of Baylor, and Marjorie and Tommen were standing on the steps. This was the grand staircase of the Girona Cathedral in Spain. I hope I'm saying that right. It was constructed in the 11th century, which I think is amazing they were able to film there. And they had many challenges along the way. Apparently there was a couple of extras that required medical attention due to exhaustion and dehydration. Oh, boy. Because they had to be out there so long in the heat. They also had a need for extensive security to close off certain areas to the public while they were filming. The second location was House Tarly, our first glimpse of where Sam comes from. Pretty amazing, right? It was. I was thrown off because I was like, this is where he comes from? Yeah. It felt, I know that they're not as rich, and you're, you're telling me they're not as big as, like, the main characters' homes, right? But 
it felt richer. I mean, it had a Greek kind of feel to it. It was very beautiful. Yeah, they're not on the scale of, say, Winterfell or the Lannisters, Casterly Rock, but certainly they have their own wealth. And I think they wanted to highlight that to showcase yeah. just what a loss it was for Sam to have to leave that and not to be able to have that as his inheritance someday as well. Yeah, and another thing I noticed is that besides his father, he seems pretty well-loved around there by yeah. his family. You know, it's not like I expected everyone to be like, what are you doing here? But it was really just the father who's a dick. And I think the son kind of falling in line with that a little bit, but perhaps because he knows oh. he's going to inherit yeah. now, and so he sort of has to take that family lineup. Yeah, uh, but he, I, I don't, he's not memorable. No, I mean, he, he may be more important, but he just, in his scenes, I didn't even think about him. It was more the father. Yeah, and the mother and the sister, who are very oh, nice, yes. split kind of by gender mm -hmm. for how they feel towards him. Not afraid to speak their uh, words. <laughs> well, House Tarly in real life, this was in nearby Catalonia, Spain, at the Castle de Santa Florentina. Another amazing 11th century castle where they were able to film. Even a beautiful sounding place, yeah. We can look for a second to our title meaning, as we like to do. How does this carry through? Blood of my blood is a saying that cows and their blood riders use to address each other. Mm -hmm. It's almost a term of endearment, meaning they're not actually blood relatives, brothers and sisters, but they are that close. They are a family in their own right. They will fight for each other. They do belong to each other. Right. As DMX puts it, blood of my blood, <laughs> flesh of my flesh. So I thought it was interesting. Obviously, you do see that with Danny at the end where we see her somewhere in the Dothraki Sea addressing her blood riders. And we'll talk about that more in depth when we get to her location. They are literally her blood riders and blood of her blood. We see people where they are supposed to be blood to each other, Sam and his father, and it really doesn't make a difference. Tommen and Jamie where we don't even really know if Tommen knows yet that this is his father. We mm -hmm. know that Marcella knew that, but it has to remain a secret. Then we see places where there are people linked in this way, where they're not truly family, but perhaps they are as closer, closer. So Sam's new family that he's made for himself mm -hmm. with Gilly and the baby, he says while he's bringing her there, I never thought I'd be bringing my family home. Yeah. That's how he sees it. They are his family. They are his blood. John and the people at the, the wall of the Night's Watch are his family. Uh, Jamie and Cersei, they are blood, but they don't care when they're knocking boots. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and <laughs> maybe sort of a connection we could never even understand because they're twins on top of that. It's pretty mm -hmm. incredible. And then we saw Jesus. literal blood relatives returning, which I can't wait. We won't talk about that quite yet, but Benjen Stark's return to Game of Thrones. Let's finish up with our title meeting, and then we'll dive deep into yeah. him. Well, another title meeting. Uh, this is the first episode where no blood was shed. Absolutely. Kind of incredible. We have no deaths to report today. Yeah. I was saying, I think we mentioned it on the podcast, we've gotten so many this season thus far. And the previous episode, we got so many. It was almost a red wedding type of event that I was hoping this episode would be a reprieve a little bit. Bit yeah. of a break for us from the death no and the deaths. bloodshed. Well, actually, I lied. Some walkers died, presumably. 
Well, or no, they come back. The What's whites. dead never. Yeah. The whites, whites the reanimated dead. But we want to see them die, right? They we don't do, really but matter. he did say what's dead never dies or something. We we should go. What's dead never dies. The dead something. never rest. There we go. Okay. Yeah, they're so. going to keep coming after you. Jeez, such a scary concept. Let's go to our opening sequence. We've been discussing lately what locations we do or do not see in the opening clip and what that might mean. This episode, we saw only three locations per continent. Now, for Essos, that's not unusual, but for Westeros, we normally see more, especially when they're going to be included in this episode, like yeah. we visited Hornhill, but it wasn't on the map. We saw only King's Landing, Winterfell, and The Wall for Westeros, and Winterfell was not even in the episode. For Essos, we saw Bravos, Vase Dothrak, and Marine, and again, Marine was not in the episode. I think this is a huge indicator. I've been saying I'm watching this title sequence because I think it's sending us sly messages about what is important. And I think these are your main locations where we now see the story starting to move towards its ending. Yeah. Our major characters are condensing towards each other. Yeah. And at the locations that will be prominent and important in some way. And I think this is showing that to us now. Not seen in this episode were Tyrion and Varys in Marine, Jon Snow and Sansa in the North, no Ramsay at Winterfell, no Littlefinger, no Theon and Yara or the Iron Islands, and no Dorne. And I think this is two episodes in a row, no Ramsay? I believe so, yeah. I don't mind that. I kind of like, I need to some time away from that dude. <laughs> a lot of the fans were saying that, and I almost wonder, this seems to be a season where Benioff and Weiss are paying attention a lot more to what the fans think. They're giving them nods, they're changing things just slightly, perhaps, mm -hmm. to appease them a little bit or to make them happy. Well, yes, and I know what you're speaking of, like uh, other other uh, reasons, but in this case, I don't think it's that. I think uh, it's actually shows how good Ramsey's character is. We hate him so much that we feel better that we've had some reprieve from him. So maybe that's a good sign. Because if he sucked as a character, we wouldn't have... We would be like, yeah, I'm glad he's not on because he sucks. But it's more like, I'm glad he's not on because he like makes me uncomfortable. And, oh, I you know. agree. And where people are saying, kill him off as soon as possible. And it's to the point where I don't even love to hate him. I hate to hate him. I don't want to see him on screen anymore, but I disagree with that. I think, like you said, he's an amazing actor. Between the writing and his portrayal, he's brought something incredible to the screen. Mm -hmm. And while it's very difficult to watch, he makes for a good antagonist, a great oh, yeah. enemy. He's a great enemy. You, you know, conversely, um, who's who's the kid that was gonna who was king first? Joffrey. Joffrey. I fucking hated that dude. Yeah. And it's not even like, yes, it was good. We wanted he, we, they wanted us to hate him, but he, he just annoyed the shit out of me at the same time. He was you know? obnoxious. There wasn't this sort of base cunning to him yeah. or these strategic smarts. He was just a whiny brat of a kid on top of being a cruel human being. Yeah. All right, so last thing to mention. This is the first time an episode has taken place in The Reach, this is where the Tarleys are from. This is also the same region the Tyrells are from. We talk about the way that the continent of Westeros is broken up. Yes, there are seven kingdoms. There are major houses. 
There's also wardens of the north, south, east, and west. But there's nine regions, and they're broken up into places like the Reach, the Riverlands, the North, the Vale. They're almost separated by the type of geography that they have. Oh, yeah, yeah. So this is the final region that we have not yet seen being brought to the screen, the Reach. The Reach is Sam's place. Correct. Okay. Beautiful. That, that I don't general know. area yeah. is called the Reach. His town, where he's from, is called Horn Hill. Mm-hmm. So the Tyrells, their place is High Garden, but they are also part of this general area of the Reach. Okay. All right. Let's get into new faces and places before we go to our overview. We have quite a few. I'd first like to start with return of certain characters that have not been on screen for a while and have made a comeback. Perhaps you've forgotten or you need a little bit of a refresher on who they are, why they're important. Number one has got to be Benjen Stark, who we see return in the north to help Bran. He was Ned's younger brother. So the order of that went Brandon, the oldest brother who was killed by the Mad King, Ned, Lyanna, who -hmm. we've been seeing in these flashback visions being talked about, alluded to, and finally Benjen. He was uncle to the Stark children. We see him as a sort of guide to John, teaching him about the Night's Watch in season one. He has not been seen since early on in season one because he was first ranger of the Night's Watch and he was sent on a ranging to look for White Walkers and never returned. In the show, he is sort of being referred to as Cold Hands, this character named Cold Hands from the book. Okay. However, George has stated repeatedly that these two are not the same character in the books. Okay. We haven't seen the return of Benjen. We don't know what's going to happen with him in the books, but um, I guess the show is rolling them into one, which I'm very happy to see. I always had a suspicion that this was Cold Hand's true identity. So if it doesn't play that way in the books, I'm glad that at least we're getting it here. You had the return of Walder Frey. Another one of these we love to hate him characters. After being off screen for a while, he comes back on with a real good punch. His titles, he's current Lord of the Crossing, Paramount of the Trident, Head of House Frey, and the Twins. These castles have controlled the strategic important crossing of the Green Fork for a while now. That's how Mm -hmm. they've made their fortune, building two castles on either side and charging people crossing fees if they want to get through. They used to be a vassal family to House Tully. Clearly in their revolt, they have now taken over that position. Talk more about that later. You know, I realized why I got confused a few episodes ago when they said, join the fray. And I was like, what, what's the fray? Because in my head, I was like, I know the word fray. Mm. So uh, now this reminded me. So the fray is join the, the war. But it, then there's also a family named fray. Yeah, and people questioned, did that intentionally have a double meaning? Right. I don't think so. They're not big enough. When Littlefinger says, it's time for the veil to join the fray. Oh, Were they going to join forces, uh, literally, with the phrase? I hope not. Which are two characters I could kind of see getting together in their ruthless, all about me, let's get a headway. I don't think so, because I don't think Littlefinger could manipulate him. Perhaps if he gives him enough of what he wants. I mean, we do see Littlefinger telling Sansa that her uncle Brendan has retaken River Run, and she's got to go down there and get forces and yet we're seeing in this episode that the phrase had been holding river run 
and are currently trying to get it back from Britain. So there's just a lot going on that you must assume Littlefinger knows about. Mm -hmm. And with all this complexity, why didn't he tell her that part of it? By the way, be careful, because the same people that murdered half your family at the Red Wedding (laughs) are mixed up in this whole mess. I mean, I'm sure she knows some of the surface-level things going on there, but I don't know. There's a lot of scheming underneath. Of course. So speaking of the Tullys, we also saw the return of Edmure Tully, Catelyn's brother. He's the one that's brought in as a hostage when the Freys are talking about how they will get River Run back. Mm-hmm. You might remember him from earlier seasons when Rob's trying to figure out his battle strategy. And he goes back to River Run. Catelyn is there because her father has just died. When they're sending the father off, Hoster Tully on a funeral pyre, Edmure is supposed to be in charge of shooting it with the flaming arrow, but misses I remember that. twice, yeah. and Brynden, the uncle, has to step in and take care of it. Mm-hmm. Then they're in the room talking about their battle strategy, and Edmure kind of has to explain how he made a mistake again, this time on the battlefield. And Brynden's kind of berating him. They almost bully him into making this wedding alliance because he's messed up so bad. Yeah. So that's Edmure. He was Catelyn's brother. Again, the youngest. It went Catelyn, Lysa, crazy Aunt Lysa in charge of the Vale, and then Edmure. He is technically the heir to House Tully. However, we see Brynden being the de facto leader right now. So Brynden Tully, they call him the Blackfish. He was Catelyn's uncle, making him great uncle to Sansa and the rest of the Stark kids. We didn't actually see him in this episode, but there's mention of him. We know he's coming back soon, if not next episode. He was somehow able to escape whatever was happening there at the Red Wedding. He wasn't actually in the room at the time. Yeah, I want to watch that episode again. Not really because it's heartbreaking, but to see where he's at. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think he's not part of the festivities here. If I remember correctly, he was in the books and he happened to get out. We know that Edmure was taken out when they went to go do the bedding ceremony, but Brendan, I do not think, was there. Anyhow, he's come back. He's taken over Riveron. We also have some first-time characters. We met Randall Tarley. Real great guy, this father of Sam, huh? <laughs> he's played by James Faulkner in real life. In the show, he's Lord of Horn Hill. He's a vassal family to House Tyrell, so they kind of answer to the Tyrells of Highgarden. Okay. He was a ruthless warrior in his day. He's still a very effective general type. Yeah. He fought, he fought on the Targaryen side in Robert's Rebellion. Oh, wow. So he was one of the losing team. However, he commanded the Battle of Ashford, which was the only defeat Robert Baratheon suffered in that war. So that's how good of a warrior general he is. Also, I find it interesting when you commented last episode or the one before, how we've sort of lost our first-tier older men Mm -hmm. that were in this show, the Tywin Lannisters of the world. Yeah. The ones that had the wisdom and knew about the old ways and were almost keeping a sort of power balance in check. Yeah. And they're being really stripped away from us to the fact that we have almost nobody left in that category. You know, you see people like Uncle Kevin... He's there in King's Landing. He's really not a presence, though. No. The ones that are there are not creating that power. So, Randall Tarley seems to be one of these guys. Oh, yeah. One of the old regime. That's what I was thinking. I was like, here's another one. But I don't know how... Well, I don't, yeah. I don't know how um, 
how much he's going to be in the show. I mean, the fact that Sam stole his sword, maybe we'll see him more. Mm-hmm. I don't see there being time to, to now put him into the storyline. I don't know if they just introduced him to highlight Sam's story arc or if he will come back, but an interesting character nonetheless. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We also, along those lines, met Melissa Tarley, his wife, and Dickon and Tala, his son and daughter, other than Sam. I like his mom. She seems like she a cool chick. She was a chick. sweet woman. Yeah. And the daughter was sweet, too. She Sam's was so sister. happy to see him, and she had open arms, literally, for the baby. <laughs> she mm-hmm. wanted him right away. And, and for uh, Sam's girl. Yeah. Yeah, that's a shame that he has to leave that as well because of the father. Yeah. Well, on the Frey side, we met briefly two of the children. One of them, Lothar Frey. They call him Lame Lothar because he has a limp. He is the steward of the twins, so he sort of manages the day-to-day goings-on for Walder Frey. He's the one we see getting yelled at and chastised in that scene, along with Black Walder Rivers, a bastard son of Walder. And finally, just to touch upon this briefly, we saw somebody new only in a vision from Bran, and that's the Mad King, King Aerys Targaryen II. I think it's important to mention this because he is probably going to be important to the storyline, regardless of the fact that he's not here in present time. Right. And according to some of our predictions, we think that uh, he's going to be part of Bran's flashbacks that possibly he affected and we did see in his vision him saying, burn them all. Mm-hmm. Burn them so all. that's interesting. That could come into play. He was popularly known as the Mad King. He was the last member of House Targaryen to rule the Iron Throne. The rule actually began okay, somewhat mm-hmm. benevolent. It wasn't until he started to succumb to this Targaryen madness that he became increasingly erratic and murderous. We talk about the story where after Prince Rhaegar kidnapped Lyanna and the house is rebelled in Robert's Rebellion... You know, Brandon Stark came down to try to offer ransom, and him and his father were both executed, and then the Lannisters pretended to bring their army in to defend the city, but they Mm -hmm. ended up sacking it. Back then, you know, um, I mean, if this was real world, back then when when people got syphilis, didn't that, if you didn't die, didn't you get mental a little bit from syphilis? Yeah. Lose your mind? Yep. Maybe that dude's got the syph. (laughs) Well, I'm sure a lot of things like that were definitely at play, but the fact that it happened so often with Targaryens, people mostly attribute it to the fact that there was a lot of incest going on. So they gave each other the sif. <laughs> the way we see with Jamie and Cersei, apparently they... It's they, a double entendre. Hot, heat, fire, syphilis. Oh, jeez. Burning. Oh, my oh, goodness. All right, off the rails. My bad. <laughs> Yes, well, apparently, though, it was really common for Targaryens to wed brother to sister. They thought nothing was wrong with that, and that's why we see this madness recurring. Mm -hmm. That's why a lot of people didn't want this to be because of Bran, the Mad King going mad. They thought that it would diminish the real reason. I mean, the fact that this happened with so many Targaryens, the fact that it's a very real possibility for Danny that -hmm. we're looking at. If we say it's because of Bran, we might lose sight of that. I don't necessarily think so. I think both could be happening. I think so. Yeah, you're right. And also, if you think about it, they are dragons, lords, right? Mm -hmm. Dragons are very volatile Mm -hmm. by nature. I mean, our little bird, if he was bigger, he would kill us when he gets pissed off. He's a little asshole sometimes. (laughs) 
So, you know, it goes without saying that maybe their personalities are volatile because of that, too. It's the same if they're all one, you know? That's what makes them fit to control the dragons. Yep. They're sort of like that. Well, so back to Ares, what was interesting is right before this happened, where Jamie ended up having to kill him, Ares had already instructed his new hand of the king. He went through a lot of hands, by the way, because he had a serious temper. <laughs> this guy, the newest one, was called Wisdom Rossart. He told him to hide caches of wildfire all over King's Landing. And that night, he decreed the whole capital would be set ablaze. He was going to take down King's Landing. Uh, he seemed to believe the Inferno was going to transform him into a dragon. Oh, wow. So that he could obliterate his enemies. And that's why, I think it was two seasons ago, when they had the war at King's Landing, and Tyrion was there. That's why it was such a big deal that they had the fire there. They had wildfire. Wildfire. However, we still believe there's a lot more of it hidden deep under the castle of the Red Keep, and that could come into play because we do see, again in Bran's vision, an explosion of wildfire that doesn't seem to have taken place on the show yet. That seems to be a future vision. Does... I think you already answered this uh, a couple episodes ago, but does wildfire hurt walkers? Or at least the five? That's a big unknown, I think. Okay. That's a very, very interesting question, though, that I don't know if people have brought this up. I haven't heard any talk about that. It is somehow magically enhanced. I mean, the... The, what do you call them? Pyromancers? Pyromancers? The people that were creating the wildfire mm -hmm. for the Targaryens. They knew this crazy magic. That's how they were able to come up with this stuff. Yeah. And we see how destructive it was at the Battle of Blackwater when they used it. So add that to our predictions. Absolutely. Well, that was the end to the Targaryen dynasty, which had ruled for three centuries when Ares met his end by Jaime killing him. And we're going to see a little bit more of that, like we said in the visions, so that's my next topic. Let's go right into our overview of the episode because we start out north of the wall where Bran and Mira are fleeing the whites. We start at the north again. We start at the north and we end with Daenerys. <laughs> you think this is accidental, Jason? Uh, no, not at all. Nothing is. Well, Bran is still downloading, so to speak. People didn't understand why were we only seeing this one vision? What was important about this scene if just to get him to Hodor and... Were we going to get it all? And the analogy has been made, and I think it's fitting, that it's almost like when you're plugging a device in to your computer and mm -hmm. you need to finish that upload. And he had only just started it in the tree. That's why we see when Mira was pulling him away, he was still glazed over with that warg look going yep. on to his eyes because he was still getting that stuff. And let's be, let's be honest. It was, it's an opportune time. It's not like he could help her. He couldn't. Right? So that's an opportune time. He couldn't. And he couldn't get out of it. You know, this wasn't a conscious choice he was making to see the visions. He right. was trapped in that download process. Mm -hmm. So we get to witness several events, some of which seem to be the past and some the future. For the past, we see his fall at Winterfell when he got paralyzed. We see Ned at the Tower of Joy. We see Ned's beheading. The death of his mother and brother, Catelyn and Rob. The children creating the first White Walker. Several images of the battle at Hardhome. Quite a few of those. Danny appearing to her Kalisar after she walked out of Drogo's funeral pyre. Mm -hmm. And he's never met Danny. He knows nothing about her. No. 
That's crazy. So these were new information for him. And you know, that flashback with him falling off the tower, it reminded me that I'm not supposed to like Jamie. I forgot, because he's been such, uh, I mean, not a good guy, but I don't know. His personality has been pretty good, for lack of a better word. Yeah, he's made a turnaround. Yeah, but I forgot how much of a dick he pushed a kid off. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, for a long time. That's all he was known for was being the Kingslayer and then the guy who pushed Bran out the window. Two parts to that. Turns out the Kingslaying thing saved the entire King's Landing from being set ablaze. Oh, yeah. And a crazy lunatic. The pushing Bran out the window, A, we see he is almost enchanted. Whenever he's around Cersei, he is a different person. It's like he loses control of himself. Mm -hmm. We need to get him away from her because it's really her evil influence leaking out onto him. Oh, yeah. And B, some people were saying maybe there is more tie-in that we're going to see to this whole thing. That this needed to happen with Bran to get to this point. And are we going to see some kind of turnaround where Bran actually kind of realizes that perhaps this needed to happen and he sees another part of what happened with Jamie? Oh, perhaps, yeah. I don't know, but we also get some visions that seem to have happened in the past but we have not seen before on TV. One of them is the Alchemist Guild creating the wildfire. One is the Mad King shouting repeatedly, burn them all. Then Jamie killing the Mad King. Jamie sitting in the Iron Throne immediately afterwards. Ned Stark asking where his sister is, and then a body covered with blood hmm. with a hand over it, which we believe is probably Lyanna. Okay. And finally, we get what seems to be future visions. A large dragon flying above what seems to be King's Landing, an intact King's Landing, and an underground stockpile of wildfire exploding into a green fireball. Oh, boy. So, will that ultimately be the death of King's Landing? And if so, how are we seeing a dragon fly over an intact King's Landing? Does that happen first? Daenerys comes with Drogon first to King's Landing, and then it explodes, and how, how is that all going to play Is it out? her doing it? Right. Hmm. Very interesting. Well, back to Bran. As the Whites close in, a black-clad rider appears out of nowhere to help destroy these creatures and escape on his horse. We later see that Bran awakes to find out it is his Uncle Benjen. Now, I mean, I knew just from the speculation of what has been talked about in the books that this was probably going to be him and just seeing his eye mask. Yeah. Even though they only left his eyes uncovered, I could tell immediately that it was yeah, but the you, actor. You predicted this. It's another correct prediction from you. You genius. Thank you. I'd like <laughs> to take that one because while this was not my theory, this was one of the longest running theories. In fact, 20 years long, Jason. Wow. Since the first Game of Thrones book came out and this was one of the first mysteries in the books about Benjen. Oh, right. Yeah. It's the oldest mystery. Yeah. Has been answered. Has now been answered, at least by the show. Wow. And... You know, while it's been around for so long and talked about for so long, it's gotten to the point where many people were saying it's crackpot. It's yeah. not going to happen because we haven't seen from him in so long. Mm -hmm. That's it. He's gone. We're either not going to get it or it's going to be something not very interesting. But I thought because they were keeping the narrative alive of him, mm -hmm. even though he's gone, we did hear about him several times. You know, this is how John was led out into the snow where they were able to murder him. Yes. If you remember. They said, come if see, there's news about <laughs> Benjamin Stark. Yeah. So, 
Do you think John's going to find out he's alive? I think so. Yeah. I'm, I'm waiting for Sam to start talking to his family, you know, via Wi-Fi, <laughs> mental <laughs> Wi-Fi. They got to send some ravens back and forth. Well, can he, can he talk? Yeah. I mean, if he can yes. talk in the past, he can talk in the, in the present once he gets his powers down. Brand. Right? He can be like, hey, John, what's up? Well, we <laughs> don't know how much he can say through these trees. Can he only affect little whispers on the wind that maybe people hear? Maybe right now. How intense is this going to be? Yeah, very interesting to think about all of this. I mean, I have to say they have finally brought the magic into this world. And people talk about that as well, that we didn't see so much of it for so long, maybe for two reasons. One, because the show was waiting till they could afford to really do it right. All of these things cost money. The dragons, the White Walkers, the magic of bringing people back to life and seeing Benjen this way and everything else. But two, that they wanted the Jon Snow resurrection thing to be a surprise. Mm -hmm. So it's not like this was happening a lot where people come back and magic exists and... So we'd expect it. Right. You're right. And now that they open that door, it's kind of the floodgate where all the magical things in the book can now come into the show. I think that's good. If if you're going to have a long-lasting season, uh, series, you know, you kind of tease it, tease it, tease it, and then finally give it to us. I want to ask you... Not to throw you off, but Benjen. Yes. Where has he been? Like, why wasn't he in the cave with them? What was he doing? Yeah, very interesting. So in the show, we get this backstory that he gives us, that he was stabbed by one of the White Walkers. Before he could die or transform into a white or they could use him for a ritual, we don't really know what they were intending to do if they were just trying to kill him. Mm -hmm. But the children came in and saved him by impaling him with the dragon glass. And so he became this sort of half-breed, almost. Something stuck in between. I mean, we see that he looks a little bit dead, Mm -hmm. like a white, like a reincarnated dead. He doesn't have blue eyes or anything like that, so it doesn't seem he's at all part White Walker. But maybe he even has a little bit of the Children of the Forest magic because... He talks about how he communicated with the Raven, and he knows all this stuff about Bran and Bran's visions. So is there something going on? I mean, even that thing that he was using to kill the Whites in the show, that little metal ball on a chain (laughs) thing, you know, it wasn't magical. It was regular fire, but it was reminiscent of the children's fireballs. True. Do you think there's a part of the original Three-Eyed Raven in him, maybe? I'm wondering. I'm thinking... He had to have spent some time with them. There's no way he was north of the wall this whole time. Well, they saved him, so he did at least see them. Right. Yeah. But if they then sent him back out on his own, he most likely would have had another encounter or turned up dead or tried to go back home, which I don't think he can get back through that wall. And the only way that's explainable is if he is sort of part White Walker. So we can call him Benjen whitish stark <laughs> well Whitish. i'd like to refer to him as cold hands because this is what benny and weiss tell us mm-hmm. that he is in fact the same guy on the show regardless if he is or not in the book so in the books there was a separate character called cold hands a man who was in fact dead and riding a dead elk and had helped bran and his friends get to the heart tree mm-hmm. on their way there They didn't know what he was at first. He took them out of a tight spot. He helped keep them moving along. And 
over time, they started to realize he doesn't make any breath when he breathes. He doesn't seem to need to eat anything. His hands look weird. They finally realized he was some kind of reanimated white or something like that. He seemed to be almost another breed himself, not just a normal dead guy. Wouldn't it be nice if he had wolves and they were the dead ones that revived as White Walkers, but saved like him? Well, we've been wondering, could Summer come back as a good force? So now we've seen somebody borderline die, but not come back bad. Right. Retain some of their desire to help. Now, we don't know if that's totally due to the children or not, but on the show, apparently he is cold hands and I hope that his role continues. He almost seems to want to be the next mentor to help Bran. Mm Mm-hmm. And he even says, you got to be ready when the Night's King comes back. So I hope they remain together and he continues to help out. My little theory is that he did spend some more significant time with the Raven. Mm -hmm. And so this won't be the end of the Raven. We'll continue to get his knowledge through Benjen. And as we know, he continues to live in some way through Bran. That'd be nice. Via Benjen's own words. Well, my crackpot idea was that Red Raven is Benjen. Older and in from like back from the past. Because remember, he can't move. He's like stuck standing up in the tree. Yeah. Because maybe his legs don't work. You know what I'm saying? Like he's like the future. Well, Bran. Bran, that's what I meant. Yeah, I'm sorry. yeah, yeah. No, some people do believe that. Oh, I thought I was the only that one. That the Three Eyed Raven is Bran. I thought I was original. Damn it. No, but it's, it's, it is definitely a theory worth considering. I think there's some sticking points on it that don't totally make sense, but I don't discount it. Mm-hmm. Um, That's why he knew everything was happened. You must learn everything. He's got this guy out there waiting for him. The only thing about that is, well, there's a lot of things. Let's not get yeah. off on a sidetrack. But whether or not he is actually the same person, I think, is less relevant than the fact that when he died, quote unquote, in the tree... I think a significant part of his essence went into Bran. Of course, yes. So he remains alive in that sense. And if he does have some wisdom or knowledge that he passed on to Benjen that we can now hear, we we still keep this character in a lot of ways with us. One last thing before we move on. How do we feel about the Dragonglass becoming almost a catch-all? So... The dragon glass is what made the first White Walker. It's what can kill the White Walkers now. It also was able to save somebody from dying from them. Is this just becoming too easy? Too easy? No. Dragon glass can do anything? No. No. I think dragon glass glass is the origin of these walkers. So it has a few key things it can kill. And it can stop someone from turning. What else? I mean, those are the two things. Can make, can kill, and can stop from turning. Yeah. So start, stop, and pause, all three. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the only power we're seeing from these uh, children. Children. So if that's the only thing we're getting, then it, it better has be multiple powerful. Facets. And the fact right. that there's not much of it makes it puts <coughs> it more on a level playing ground. If there was plethora of it then it'd be kind of like all right well now everyone's got the tools well and there used to be more but we're going to talk about that in a different segment in a little bit more about the dragon glass and the dragon steel uh let's go back to our overview 
because a lot happened in King's Landing this episode. A real lot. In fact, it took me two times watching the episode and I'm still totally confused. I have an idea about what we saw here. There's so much going on. First, the High Sparrow and Tommen prepare for Marjorie's Walk of Atonement. Tommen visits Marjorie. They're able to see each other for the first time in a while. And she explains to him how she has changed. She's repented and adopted the faith of the Seven, and she sees how everything she was doing was wrong. And I thought immediately here it was so clear that she was playing this, that mm -hmm. she didn't feel that way, that this is yeah, I thought that some too. kind of scheme to get Tommen on her side for whatever it is she has in mind. Then we go on to the next scene where we're outside of the Sept. We see the High Sparrow starting to bring Marjorie out and present her to the people that he's getting her ready to do the walk. And then Jamie and Mace Terrell appear. By the way, Mace Terrell. Yeah. <laughs> I know everyone's saying it, but I just have to talk about what an idiot this guy truly is. First, between what he's wearing, this big feathered plume coming out of his helm <laughs> and his speech of rousing everybody that madness has had its day. I mean, he really is pretty useless. No wonder Lady Olena is the one ruling this household. Yeah. But Jamie has his badass moment where they come up to the sept and he rides the horse up and he's really ready to do battle. This kind of negates the whole point of the Lannisters laying low on this, and they're going to make it look like it's the Tyrell army that's attacking the Faith, not the Lannisters, when Jamie's at the head of it all. So I don't really know where he was going with that one, but they were ready to start this war until we had a real big twist. The Sparrow declares that Marjorie will not do the walk. Almost looks like he's backing down for a second, right? Mm -hmm. And then in the same breath, turns around and presents King Tommen, who has agreed to unite the faith and the crown. Yeah. What does that mean in actuality? Well, here's the thing. I still have this, maybe it's an ignorant confidence, that Marjorie knows what she's doing. Okay. Because of either last episode or the one prior, when she finally can see her brother, and she sees right through what the what the old man's doing, mm -hmm. right? Like, he's trying to break us. She has control. So that one scene keeps me confident that she still knows what she's doing. She hasn't been brainwashed or uh, given up. Something is still in the works that we just don't know yet. I agree with you up until that scene. And I don't think she's been brainwashed. I did consider that. Uh, but in looking at it more and rewatching, I do think she thinks she has a plan. And she's going along with it. Where I differ is I think the High Sparrow is smarter and has one-upped her. And this is all part of his plan. Mm -hmm. She thinks very much the same way. Cersei thought she had her shit together. Yeah. She was smarter than everybody. Yeah. She went ahead and armed the Faith Militant for the first time in thousands of years. This is how they got into King's Landing. Got into this position of power. Mm -hmm. Totally got away from her. She meant to take down the Tyrells. She's taking down everything in the meantime. I think Marjorie is falling into that same trap. You may be right, because she was very Cersei-like when she was talking to the king. Yeah. Her husband. And I was like, oh, Cersei-esque? So you might be right. It's the same downfall. I think they're making oh, the parallels that bitch. these two were enemies, but they're really more alike than they realize. But explain to me what this means now. Like, do they have even more power now? Not that they were missing any power. 
What does it mean that they're now in an alliance? That's what I don't understand. Now, apparently, this used to be the way things were done. Mm -hmm. That there was this stronger kind of... There was no separation between church and state. Right, exactly, (laughs) working together. I know part of that was the faith militant helping to serve by being this army, but that we're already seeing. Cersei already armed them, and I thought that was the biggest part of what gave them the power. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what more they're getting on top of that, except maybe the High Sparrow becomes even more intimate with Tommen. More of an advisor. Does he sit on the small council? Is he present as part of the leadership role Ugh. along with everybody else? So now could he essentially influence and make decisions the way everybody else has been trying to whisper in Tommen's ear? And he really seems to have a grasp on Tommen. Tommen oh, yeah. seems to Who buy his bullshit though? 100%. Who doesn't have a grasp on Well, apparently Jamie Cersei. doesn't anymore. Or Cersei. Cersei and Jamie. <laughs> Which is weird. That's the crazy part is that while they're sitting there thinking all their chickens are coming home to roost and their plots are working it's still all falling away from them brick by brick i love how lady olena like sums it up what just happened we just lost but that was perfect yep he won the high sparrow won and we see that really highlighted where we go into the throne room and tommen is basically firing jamie from lord commander of the king's guard not basically well, right? the thing is, he's not shamed or sent away, like, stripped of anything. He still wants him to serve. Here again is where Cersei has stabbed her, herself in the back. Her plans have backfired. She was the one who set the precedent to dismiss a Kingsguard. Right. Before that, they served for life. But when she had Joffrey fire Sir Barristan, who ended up going over and working for Daenerys, <laughs> another backfire that she didn't even know happened... She now made that okay. You could do that in the future, which is what opened the door to letting Jamie go here. Now, it does put him in the position of being the person in charge of Casterly Rock and the Lannister army, which is what Tywin wanted for him for a long time. What is that worth? That's no slouch of a position. I mean, their army was pretty good. The Lannister army was pretty good, and the Lannister house is very rich. Yes. They do need somebody running it. However... The mission they are currently sending him on is a joke. It's a fool's mission, yeah. It's to go to the Riverlands and help the Freys take back River Run. At a time where the High Sparrows are taking over King's Landing, the Tyrell army is still there in full force. Lord only knows what else is going to happen, and Jamie is leaving Cersei basically totally undefended. And she's okay with it. Yeah, what is her deal? How is she must have, in her mind, still some master plan that has yet to play out? Because don't forget, we haven't even seen the trials of these two. Oh. The trial of... I don't know if they think that's, like, over and done with now that they made this alliance, but I think at least Cersei's still going to be tried. You think so? Yeah. Oh, God. But even if... Either way, she thinks she's got an idea. She's got a plan. They're going to show everybody their strength. Jamie's going to go to River Run and show his strength. I don't know how taking River Run proves anything to anybody. Like, it's just ridiculous. But from a narrative standpoint, he has to go there because Brienne's on her way there. And you know they're going to meet up. And right now they should be enemies because he's going to be trying to take it for the Freys and the Lannisters who murdered the Starks at the Red Wedding. She's going to be trying to get the forces back for Sansa to go retake Winterfell for the Starks. And yet, 
he had part of that same mission that he worked with Jamie on, which was to keep the Stark girls safe and return them home. Right. So when she tells him it's for Sansa and Sansa's still alive and this is her mission still, I don't think he's going to be able to fight her on that. I don't know how it's going to go, but I think he's going to honor that. Oh, boy. A debacle. So very interesting. I think King's Landing is headed for that implosion we've been talking about. I think it's going to happen real soon. Figuratively and literally. Yeah, perhaps literally. Well, that's an explosion, I guess. But Well, talking about River Run, let's go over first to the twins. Talk about Walder Frey. We spoke about his entrance back onto the TV show. Really epic. This guy's amazing. Every time I see him, though, I still see uh, the children are out of their dorms or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Harry Potter. Yeah. He's great, this actor, though. Oh, he's, he's amazing. received word that River Run was retaken by Brynden. He chastises Lothar Frey and Walder Rivers, like we said. They were ordered to hold the castle. He says, how do you lose it? It's not a sheep. <laughs> yeah. Just amazing. They give a piece of important information in response. They say that the reason they lost it was that several river lords have risen in rebellion against them. Mm -hmm. So they're still loyal to the Tullys, and I think that's trying to give you an interesting parallel. The people that were real leaders and good people that inspired this loyalty, so the Tullys inspired loyalty in their vassal houses, these other river lords, I think it was the same way for the Starks. These houses of the North that we're seeing, quote-unquote, go over to the Boltons were even more fiercely loyal to the Starks than what we see happening here. Yeah. So I think that's a bit of kind of trying Parallel? to set you up for that, like that these Northern houses did not really leave the Starks. And we did predict that. But anyway, here in the Riverlands, they definitely didn't leave the Tullys because now they're attacking the Freys. The Malisters, the Blackwoods... Even the Brotherhood Without Banners, who we haven't seen in a while, is apparently out there riding their, raiding their supply camps. Can you remind me who the Brotherhood Without Banners is? Sure. They are the people that nicely captured Arya after she got away from Harrenhal. She was on her own with Gendry and Hot Pie. And that's where we saw... For the first time, the reanimation of life. Beric Dondarrion and Thoros yep. of Mir, the Red Priest, correct. Right. They're at the head of that. And, and then met the Hound. So who they really are, in case you're wondering, is Robert's men. The Brotherhood Without Banners, Robert had sent them out to hunt down the mountain, I think, who was in the Riverlands. Yes. And to stop the raping and the pillaging and, you know, the destroying of the small folk and everything else. Even after Robert died, this was still a cause they wanted to fight for. And so they kept it up. And now wherever they see injustice being committed, apparently here they believe that they agree with the Tullys were wronged. And that, so they're raiding the Frey supply camps. That's right. I've been, I've been saying, where, what happened to these guys? So it looks like they're coming back. I hope they come back on screen. We know Jamie's going to show up here and we'll see the Tullys and River on soon. Shit's going to get real. Okay, so three more locations. Let's go over to Horn Hill, the first time we are seeing this new place. Sam, Gilly, and Little Sam arrive. We talk about how warmly the mom and the sister welcome them. How rich they are. Sam does tell her ahead of time, in all fairness, to Gilly, 
tell him little Sam is my baby and don't tell him you're a wildling. Right. She doesn't tell him. She doesn't mean to tell him. And and we knew this was going to happen. There was just no way around it. At dinner, Randall's insulting Sam. He's calling him fat and bookish and saying the Night's Watch didn't make him a man after all. dick. Just a real jerk overall. Sam, for as much as he's been able to do throughout the series in becoming braver and stronger, everything John told him to do, he still turns into a craven when he's around his father. He can't speak for himself. That's the source of uh, his self-doubt. So, I mean, this is like the mountain of... This is the root. Yeah. Even the White Walkers weren't as scary to him as this man is. You can see it in his face. But Gilly stands up and defends him, which is really sweet. I thought it was very sweet. After everything he's done to help her, she's Mm -hmm. now able to help him in this moment and puts him in his place and tells him, you'll never be the man he is, but does slip up, reveals she's a wildling. We see thrown in there, by the way, that these people don't believe White Walkers exist. So still clearly a vast majority of the people, at least far enough south, aren't giving this a second thought yet. Even though the father's upset and ranting and raving about her being a wildling, he does end the speech by saying he'll keep her, she can work in the kitchens, and he'll raise baby Sam, Mm -hmm. which is a lot more than I thought he was going to say, but under the conditions that Sam never returned to Horn Hill. And we don't know how they're going to be treated. Right. Probably like shit, but it was was just a weird way to end that. Maybe like shit, but it seems like the wife has a little bit of power, so maybe not. She is able to kind of say stuff to him, as we see at the end when she's walking away and snaps back at him a little bit. But Sam still couldn't keep his courage. We go back to this room where it appears like he's going to say goodbye. He's going to leave. He walks out the door. I think Gilly's last words are really what did it for him, ringing in his head. He is not the man... You are not the man he thinks you are. Yeah. She knows what kind of man he is. He needs to know what kind of man he is. And I think once that kicks around in his brain a little bit, he's able to storm back in and say, we got to stay together. Screw this. Screw the Citadel. I don't know how he's going to get around that one. The fact that women can't be at the Citadel. But we said right from the very beginning, isn't there anywhere else in Old Town that he can just put her up in the meantime? I mean, this was always a bad idea. And it ends with him going back into the main hall and stealing Heartsbane. Yeah. I was excited about that because obviously that's going to mean something later on in the story. Um, maybe not necessarily him wielding that sword, but uh, at least giving it to someone who can. Well, he has killed a White Walker. Perhaps he yes. deserves to have this blade. His father certainly doesn't deserve to have no. this blade. It was kind of a cute little moment of indignation of him getting up there and clumsily trying to take it off. Looked like he was going to drop it. Sort of getting a little bit of bravado, even though he was still doing it in a cowardly way. He had to wait till it was night and everybody was out of the room and he sort of snuck the sword out. Yeah. But he's got hard speed now. Valyrian Steel, one of very few in the kingdom. We are going to have a little talk about that soon. So good on Sam that he stays alive now. I think you're right. I was wondering why we had so much time dedicated to what seems to be kind of a minor character. I think this indicates he's not. Yes. He's going to continue to be more of a major character and perhaps because of the sword. So perhaps people that didn't seem 
to be so important to the storyline, but do have Valyrian steel blades, that's important. Yes. Like Brienne was never supposed to be such a major character, but she has Oathkeeper right now. So oh, right. does this keep them alive from a narrative point of view? Now, Oathkeeper, that was broken down into, it was one larger sword broken down into two, right? And she has one of them? So yeah, let's, let's talk about those blades. We've been wondering about this for a long time. We've heard about some of the blades that are in the kingdom. We don't exactly know the number. People say there's a handful. I heard 12 somewhere, seven or eight. I was able to track down seven Valyrian steel swords that we know about, either from the books or the show. Okay. So it might not be definitive to the show because some of them they haven't mentioned on TV, but it's worth talking about. Now, first we talk about Valyrian steel and Valyrian glass. Valyrian glass is dragon glass or obsidian, what we see them using north of the wall, this black stone. They call it dragon glass because it looks like frozen fire to them. It has nothing to do with dragons. Oh. It's volcanic glass. It's really made from, from lava, from volcanoes. So we'll call it obsidian for our purposes. It's still one of two things that we know for sure can kill the White Walkers. It's sharper than steel, but more brittle. That's why we see them using it as arrowheads. Okay. And we've been told there's large amounts of it on Dragonstone. So fairly close by in Westeros, the little island where we could get to. So Stannis kept saying he could get it from there. Never did, died, I don't know what's going to happen. But all the other caches that we found are gone now. Left in Hardhome, left at the tree, so... Maybe that could come into play because the only other place we heard of Dragonglass existing was in Valyria, which is gone now, and Ashai, and none of our characters are going there. So let's go over to the things that do exist. The Valyrian steel, the blades that we're seeing mostly, the swords. This is called dragon steel. It was a form of metal forged in the days of Valyria, but lost after the doom. After Valyria fell, nobody alive knew how to make Valyrian steel anymore. So the most they can do is repurpose swords, the way we see them making ice into another blade, but they can't make more. Whatever it is, it is. We think it was forged with dragon fire back in the day, that their flame was actually used, and it was infused with magic spells as well. Some say blood magic. Oh. So super hard to make these things. They're exceptionally strong and sharp, yet light. They don't weigh that much, and they keep their edge forever without sharpening. They're like amazing weapons. That's nice. We notice them because in the books they talk about this distinctive ripple pattern to the colors and the way the light hits it. Just a little side note, some maesters also wear a link of Valyrian steel in their chain. Their chain is made of many different metals to show different arts that they've practiced. The Valyrian steel used to signify the higher mysteries of magic, which uh -huh. they now think of as extinct and they don't do that anymore, but... I can just picture, like, QVC, <laughs> uh, you know, Ginsu knife-type promo. Yep. <laughs> Never loses its sharpness. Or the chain, you know. Oh, yeah. This one is Valyrian steel. Yeah, exactly. So, we'll talk about the seven blades, either book or TV. One of them was Ice, Ned's sword, the Stark House sword. After his death, it was actually turned into three different oh, weapons. Three, that's right. One is Oathkeeper, which Jamie had. Now Brienne has it. The second was Widow's Whale, Joffrey's sword, 
don't know where that is. And the third was made into a dagger, which was what was used to try to kill Bran. That they went round and round that they thought that was Tyrion's dagger and they were trying to imprison him for that. And it turned out Joffrey had it. Oh, that's right. Yes. Sent. So that's don't know where that somewhere is out there, too. The only Valyrian steel dagger that we know of instead of a blade. Maybe when Jamie bounces, he takes one of those. I hope that shows up again because that's. Yeah. See, some of these aren't in the TV, so we probably won't hear about them. But stuff like this is out there floating around in the universe. You have to think it's going to come back around it at some to. point. Um, so that's one become three. The second is Longclaw. Used to be old Bear Mormont, the former commander of the Night's Watch. He gave that sword to John, Mm -hmm. repurposed it with the direwolf. However, John left it at the wall with Ed when he just peaced out. He didn't take it with him. He didn't take his sword? No. You sure? A lot of people miss that. It was in that scene. He left it there with Ed. Oh boy. That was dumb. Yeah. Or maybe also he's dumb, thinking because it's at the wall. Well, did he leave or take Ghost? If he left without Longclaw or Ghost, I don't know how I feel about that. I'd almost rather that Ghost doesn't go with him because I so don't want to see another <laughs> direwolf death in battle. Yeah. But if he is there when the White Walkers come, going to be just as bad. If we lose Ghost when we're down to two direwolves, mm-hmm. I'm going to be very, very upset. I might riot. Let's be honest, they're not that uh, efficient anyways. They don't do much. Anyway, let's stick to the blades. Number three is Heartsbane, Tarly House Sword, which we just saw here. Number four is called Lady Forlorn. It's the house sword of the Corbrays. They're a vassal house to the Aarons in the Eyrie. Okay. The Vale, where we see Sweet Robin right now. We haven't actually seen them on the TV show. I'm wondering if that's going to play in, not counting it out yet, because in the books, it's still, the sword is still alive and kicking. Whereas the last three, five, six, and seven were in the books, but talked about as lost. Okay. So if they were lost in the books and never came to TV, you got to believe they're not going to exist. But just to mention them, they were Bright Roar, the Lannister House Sword, Lost in Valyria, Blackfire, a Targaryen House Sword, Lost in the Blackfire Rebellion, the battle. And Dark Sister, Visenya Targaryen's personal sword, lost in the rebellion. Finally, there were also two other blades that were not Valyrian steel, but were special. Dawn, which we see in that vision that Bran has, where we go back to the Tower of Joy, mm-hmm. and that guy, the Sword of the Morning, the amazing fighter, supposedly that was their sword, the Dane House sword, and only the Sword of the Morning could yield that. It was made of the metal of a fallen star. So we have to believe some kind of meteor or comet or something came to Earth and they took the metal from there and that's what made it special. It remains at the Castle of Starfall in the books right now. And then you have Lightbringer, which we did see on the show. Stannis' sword. When he's wielding it, it seems like just parlor tricks that Melisandre is using to make it look like it lights on fire because Maester Aemon notes that it doesn't have its own heat. Right. However, in the books, the real Lightbringer was a sort of legend, forged and yielded by Azor Ahai, the prince that was promised, who was chosen by the Lord of Light to fight the darkness, and the sword was said to glow and radiate with its own heat. That's the sword that we saw, kind of, in the flashback three episodes ago, when Ned fought 
That dude with the... No, that was Dawn. Oh, okay. The first one we mentioned. Then this is another one, Lightbringer. So both of these are not Valyrian steel, but they are special. Where is Lightbringer right now? Uh, we don't know. Was Stannis' sword even the real Lightbringer? Oh. Does it still exist somewhere else? Not sure how Maybe those one of those uh, Red Witches have it. Hey, um, they can, and they pull it out of their big bosoms. <laughs> Apparently those are magic, too. Uh, here's the thing. When when it goes down and all the walkers, walkers or white walkers, mm-hmm. and they need to go get those down south, just have Littlefinger go. He'll be back in like 10 minutes. All right. Take his teleporter. In 10 minutes. Round up the Valyrian <laughs> yeah. steel blades. Even if all seven of them were in existence, how much is that really going to do? Although I would love to be one of the characters that did have my hands on one when the shit hits the fan. Yep. And like we said, that might, as the saying goes, armor those characters in plot. They would have plot armor because they have the Valyrian steel blade and they wouldn't die because that means something. Oh, I see. Okay. Well, let's keep our eye on those blades and go back to our overview. Last two locations, one of them being Bravos, where we see Arya return to watch the play yet again. She sneaks backstage, does manage to poison Lady Crane's rum, but on her way out is discovered and confronted by Lady Crane. Arya seems to warm to her, right? She's telling the oh, story very much so. about her background, and it, it almost looks like Arya wishes she had been able to find somebody like them instead of the faceless men. Oh, you think that? You read that into that? Yeah, she's talking about how similar, you know, oh, you like to be somebody else too, Lady Crane. Right. I see that you like to pretend, and this is a band of people who there's somewhat of a camaraderie there. There's not the risk of death at every turn. I mean, she was really kind of is, lost. Though. She was looking for anything she could. The mm. only reason she went on that boat was because all she had left to her was that coin of the faceless men. But once she realized what it was, she knew it wasn't for her. She's known all along. So I wonder if some part of her thinks if I had just wound up with a group like this. See, I don't, I don't agree. You know, last episode, it seemed like there was a camaraderie when they were done with the play. But this time, you see, I mean, this woman's supposed to die because of their lack of camaraderie. Sure. And they're fighting. Over, yeah. They're all bickering. Absolutely. So but you got to believe that's life there. That's life at this point in time anywhere for okay. these people. It's different than this crazy-ass shit that Arya's gotten into with yes. the faceless men. And she does. this chick does seem like a cool chick, this actress that's supposed to get killed. Absolutely. And before we go into that part, did you notice that she Arya was kind of enjoying the play this time? Well, she was watching the part where Joffrey gets killed that's and why. Okay. chuckling to herself, which... Thank goodness nobody else noticed that. It was so obvious that everyone's like, oh, no, and she's there cracking up. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think you're absolutely right about Lady Crane. When she told the backstory of her life, Arya definitely warmed to her, started to see she's not a bad person, regrets what she did, goes through a very similar thing as last time. This is just not right for her. She can't go through with killing somebody that it doesn't seem justified. They're not a bad person. They don't deserve to die. Faceless men might believe that. She never adopted that belief. Not in her heart. So she goes backstage, stops her from drinking it, knocks it out of her hand, warns her that the rival Bianca wants her dead, basically blows up the the house of black and white spot because she pretty much said, this girl ordered your death. And I'm sure the people of Bravos know that when somebody orders your death, it's the house of black and white. And blows up her own spot because, turns out, right around the corner, the waif has been there watching the whole thing. The waif has always been a bitch, but I thought 
I didn't think it was a in a maniacal manner that it is. You yeah. and many people thought that she was just giving this tough love, that this is yeah. the way the House of Black and White works. To Especially see since we saw her cha- change into, what's his name? Jockin. Jockin. I'm like, oh, maybe there is no waif. There is no Jockin. Maybe, you know what I mean? We questioned that for a long time. Is it even separate people? But there was something about when she was actually the waif, this underlying hatred mm-hmm. of Arya that seemed to be stronger than just a test. And growing. And we finally see here that there is more to it, that she has asked Jockin a long time ago, if she fails, can I have this kill? She has ordered her own hit. Mm -hmm. And apparently he had told her yes. So she's been out to get her ever since. And now this makes me wonder, you know, this is just the face we're seeing. This might not be this real woman. We don't even know her name. We're calling her the waif, which is a title, not a name. Right. So is she somebody from Arya's past? Oh. Somebody connected to Arya's storyline, Arya Stark, that really wants her dead. Maybe. I have a feeling that Jockin, when when he's talking to her, he has this look in his eye. I think that he, what we're seeing is not really what he's doing. I think he, this is the last part of whatever test, maybe not the test to be faceless man, but... Um, Arya's last test, he has to kill the waif. And that will be, like, this is part of the plan for Jockin, at least. I don't think it's Jockin giving up on her. Well, so maybe he's still been testing both of them, because it seems like the waif has done a couple of things that go out of line with the training. Mm -hmm. And he's hoping Arya will come out of this alive. But even if she doesn't, one of them's going to kill the other. The faceless god's going to get his death. So he allows it, but he's hoping that his bet was right. He says, such a shame a girl had many gifts. If he is proven right here, she will live, and hopefully that'll be the end of it. Um, If she's not, so, you know, we see Arya retrieve Needle. I think where she took it back to was actually her room at the House of Black and White. People think she's out there, like, hiding in some cave. Right. No, I think she went back. This looks like the House of Black and White. Mm Mm-hmm. I think she went back for two reasons. One, she knows she needs to kill the wave. If she doesn't, these people will follow you anywhere. And they can look like anyone and you will never get away. She'll spend the rest of her life looking around corners, wondering when this is coming. So she has to take her out and or get a face or a couple of faces for herself to take with her so that she can hide Mm -hmm. as she makes her prediction alert, prediction alert. So I think the reason she blew out the candle in that room was to fight the waif. We've seen her in training. I think the reason for all of these seemingly pointless, boring fighting. scenes yeah. where we see little clips of her fighting was to show you that she lost every time in the physical fights against the waif when they were training with these sticks. The only time she bested her was when she was blind. Mm-hmm. So she does better when she can't see and needs to rely on her other senses. She's realized that. She's back here to put this on level playing field mm-hmm. without the lights she'll fight better she'll be able to take her out i agree with your prediction and i to take it a step further or just think of it deeper it's not just that she was blind we know that her issue is that she fights and lives and does things off of emotion right so when she's fighting after they give her her eyesight back you see she gets angry and she tries even harder she gets angry and she loses mm-hmm that one time she won, 
there was no emotion. She was concentrating so hard because she couldn't see. Mm -hmm. So I think it's not just that she couldn't see. It's the fact that she's also going to shut off her emotion. She almost has to meditate. It's like part of becoming a real good fighter is to find this Zen. Mm -hmm. And I think you're right about that. Because remember, she was learning that when Cereal Pharrell was teaching her how to water dance to find her center and be quick like a cat and quiet as a mouse and all this other stuff. The entire series... They've been essentially training her to be the ultimate human weapon, mm-hmm. an assassin, a killer. And so now here's my question. If we're right about all this, she takes the waif out. Jockin either lets her go because he likes her. Okay. You know, you didn't make it. You didn't cut it here. But the god has his death. The waif died. Good travels to you. Go back to Westeros to continue your kill list, Arya Stark. Mm-hmm. Or he had another reason for her, like you're saying, and there's more to this that we're not seeing. It's not just all so random and pointless, these deaths. Either way, this was a lot of traveling and journeying for Arya. What happens after this? You know, what, what was the point of bringing her to this place of trying to hone her as an assassin? Well, let's not forget the last scene with Jack and many seasons ago when he gives her the coin. He, the way he spoke to her, you know, is very different from the way he treats her now. Right. And I think it's too easy. A lot of people are forgetting that because they're just chalking it up to this is the way the the no-face God is. Works. This is how it has to be. But it doesn't seem like that. No, not to me. There's something deeper. And what she's doing, I didn't answer your question because I don't know. If this is really that same guy that helped her out in Westeros. True. Yeah. You know? I think it is. Okay. But that's because I like movies with happy Let's endings. assume that. Let's assume this is Jackin, whoever it is, at Spirit that she met. Um, so he has a bigger purpose for her. Why is there always only two people in this big <laughs> castle? And where is everyone well, else? Well, yeah. See, there's got to be way more going on there yeah. that we don't know about. That hopefully if she does pass this final test, as you put it, and it's not just her fighting for her life to get away, we'll see more of that. And, you know, if you want to really start to, to travel into theory and possibility, we got the backstory of the Faceless Men last episode and how they essentially were slaves to the Targaryens, the Valyrian masters, who wanted them in mines and working for them, and they rose up and eventually killed the masters. Mm-hmm. So I keep saying I don't know how Arya's storyline would fit into Westeros. Mm-hmm. How does she get back there? What does that all mean? If she doesn't flee and take a face and go to Westeros and just return her kill list, because I think she's done with that. I don't think she's doing that. My initial prediction was that she's going to fit into the East somehow with this storyline or with Danny somehow. There's masters in the east. Yep. There's slave masters in the east right now. They're still a problem. Do we need an assassin for them? Not the Starks coming back over to Westeros thing we always thought, but are the Starks all going to reunite to fight the White Walkers? Like, isn't that a bit too cliche for George? So, I don't know. It's going to be cool to see where that goes. Speaking of the East and the Targaryens, let's go to our last location in the Dothraki Sea, somewhere, where we see Danny speaking with Dario about how to cross the Narrow Sea. Now that she's got Dothraki, Unsullied, Second Son, she's got lots of men. <laughs> Dario estimates they will need at least a thousand ships, and she wonders, where will I find yeah. a thousand ships? 
You thought that's a little too on the nose. This is what I'm thinking. I think a thousand is not a number. I think it's the way they use, like, just a measurement of, like, a shit ton. Probably, but... I want a thousand ships made. I want a shitload of ships. You know, maybe it's not a number. I get it. And even if it is a number in this instance, Mm -hmm. it's like a guesstimate of, look how many people, you're going to need a thousand ships. Mm -hmm. But narratively, we did just have the Greyjoy saying, we're coming with a thousand ships, and now we have Dario saying, you'll need a thousand ships. So either way, the writers really kind of felt the need to throw that in your face, even though we all assumed that uh, Theoden... But they never feel the need to throw anything in our face. That's what's got me off. That's why I'm wondering, why are they being so on the nose with that? It's very weird. So is it intentional? It's, a are we, and, it's gotta be a bait and is switch. Is it a bait and switch and yep. they're not going to Daenerys, the mm-hmm. Greyjoys at all? Uh, and if so, where are they going? Cause that could get really freaking interesting if they go somewhere else and Danny comes back and she doesn't in fact have ships. Mm. Well, then we go over to Danny seeing this gust of wind. She somehow senses that it's Drogon, right? And she goes back behind the mountains, and when yeah. she comes back out, she's riding a dragon. Dragon's gotten bigger. Dragon is huge. huge. If you guys didn't notice, when they show her flying, you see how small she is on his neck now. She's tiny on his neck. As as uh, Last time we saw her with the dragon last season, he was a big boy, but she... Did, you know, she rode him. It was kind of like the way you would look on top of a horse. Obviously, right. like a little more. Like but, a bear or but something now it's oversized. Like, now it's like the way Atreyu looked when he was riding uh, the dog and never It's almost story. like she's riding an airplane. Yeah. And is he even full grown? Let's think about that. I don't think I so. I mean, we don't even know, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't feel comfortable about dragons. I almost, you know, I always say, where are the dragons? Where are the dragons? At this point, I don't want to see them because I feel like... Once we see them, death to the I dragons. <laughs> so that's why I've been saying I am very nervous that Danny could out could turn out to be either a bad guy or somebody has power that just got away from her because she still thinks she's controlling Drogon. Mm-hmm. And this reinforced that she had some control over him. She was able to have him come over and stand there and be nice pretty much while she gave this you know, rousting speech, but they're wild beasts that breathe fire. Yeah. At the very least, if you even have some modicum of control over them, you're using them as an insane weapon. Yes. And uh, uh, what's his name does say to her? You're not good at, what does he say? Oh, yeah. Stario tells her she's not meant to sit in iron chair. She is a conqueror. And it's kind of true because once she does, she loses control of her dragons. She loses control of her people. Um, she's at her peak. She's at her strength when the weapons she has are being utilized for what they are. Right. And that's all of fine when she's here roasting the shit heels of the earth. Yeah. And when we need her to go to Westeros, perhaps to roast some White Walkers. But then what? This is the woman you want ruling, and everybody's like, oh, we'll see her sit the Iron Throne. I don't want to see her sit shit, because then you're <laughs> just back to the crazy-ass Targaryens that used to rule Westeros for so long by force, by fear, that roasted people alive with their dragons, 
and then eventually had to keep them chained up until they grew smaller and smaller and went out of existence. Because what else do we do with them? The way she's doing with her other two dragons in the dungeon. Uh, So I would like to see that take a different twist, personally. But the the internet's like all like, uh, you know, is she actually a villain? Is she a villain? And I'm not jumping on that yet because let let's not forget that she wants to free slaves. She's you know, she wants to be fair. So I'm not ready to jump on the oh she's gonna be a bad guy. It's you know when I've been saying that for a while because I have been saying that for a mm, while. You have. It's it's not like she's a Ramsey bad guy. I don't mean it like that. Uh, you know we talked about how the Targaryens always flirted with madness. They were this close. To Mm -hmm. it. And there are sparks of that with her sometimes. You know, as much as you're saying the things she does are righteous. Yeah. Do you ever see people with righteous anger? People with a cause? People like the High Sparrows or the Red Priests? I mean, that, you think you're doing something good. Donald Trump. But, (laughs) but, you know, that could be taken to extremes that are really scary. And what if this is something you think is right... But eventually, it's not what's right anymore. Right. And then how do you stop that person? Should any one person have that much power? Because mm-hmm. what if she wakes up tomorrow and she decides what's right is to kill all the freaking Starks in Westeros? Because the Starks wronged her once upon a time. Then are we going to think she's such a good guy anymore? This is a tough predicament that but we're in. But that's right to her because they killed her yeah. family. So now we're, we have this, uh, I'm having this emotional struggle because I don't want to see her fail. I used to, I mean, used to, I get really happy when she's finally kicking ass. Mm -hmm. And now I have these doubts that you're speaking of and it scares me because like, I don't want to root against her. Yep. I mean, I don't, I don't either. I just, I've been having these, these fears for her all along. And I think unless we get that somewhat resolved before Mm -hmm. she goes over on a freight train to Westeros with, by the way, probably more of an army than everybody, everybody. over there combined right now. Yeah. She's got the Unsullied, Killers which are too. killing machines. Mm-hmm. She's got the Dothraki, which all they do is pillage and ruin. Mm-hmm. And I don't think she's going to be able to contain that. And she's got the dragon. So she's a killing force right now. Yes. And that could really go either way. That doesn't make her a bad person, but she needs to figure out how to use that first. Or she becomes the bad guy, even inadvertently. Agreed. Um, this is when we throw it off to you guys. Do you think she's a villain? And explain to you, explain to us yes or no and why. And you can do that on our Facebook, Coffee Clatch Crew Podcast. Or email us at contact at coffeeclatchcrew.com. I want to throw another question in there. Before you go there. Sure. So to clarify, is Daenerys a hero? The one we want to root for? Is she a villain? The bad guy? Or is she somewhere in between where she's flirting a little bit with madness and may get caught up on the wrong side of the line? Exactly. Let us know your thoughts. And then also, sticking on the villain uh, storyline, who is your favorite villain and why? (laughs) I think that'd be very interesting to find out. Uh, They could be dead. So if you have a if you had a favorite villain and they're no longer here, so it could be Tywin. Let us know. <laughs> Somebody you loved to hate on Game of Thrones. And if it's easier for you to do it on our Twitter, do it that way too. CKC Podcast. Reach out and we'll talk about it next week. Now before we move off of her, there's one thing you brought up last night um, that I I want to reiterate. Uh, the fact that you know how does she 
have all this control over this dragon all, all of a sudden. Right. And this is what I believe. When she is feeling uh, self-doubt, mm-hmm. when she's worried and she's losing control of her people, mm-hmm. this is when we had issues with her dragons and she had to tie them up mm-hmm. or lock them up in a dungeon because they weren't respecting her. She couldn't control her. But I, if you notice, during that last fight of last season... And just now, she just she f- get, feels strong. Mm-hmm. She just took over, you know, another clan. She's the Khan. Cal. Cal now. So she feels strong, powerful, um, no self doubt right now, and that is when she can control these dragons. So they feed off of her. They recognize her as the alpha when she's like that. Exactly. The same way the Dothraki bow to strength above all else. It's the same thing, and that's why she's able to ride this beast right now and control him. Well, also don't forget that that's only ever Drogon. It was only supposed to be that way. In all of history, even though she has three dragons, she's only meant to ride one of them. She's only having that connection so intimately with one. And I thought that parallel was really cool here where she gives this speech about, you know, historically the cows all have three blood riders. And they're like your top three dudes that ride behind you. Um, and she's telling them, I'm not going to choose three. I choose you all. You know, she's got to mm-hmm. have another rousing speech in Dothraki where she's yelling on the back of a dragon. I'm a little bit like, I don't know, whatever. But I, I, Yeah, I don't know why I feel this way either because every time we've had a podcast and it ends with her on a speech, I have been very happy. For some reason, this landed flat for me. Maybe because we just had one. I don't feel like she needed another one. Two weeks ago. The next episode. Or, yeah, yeah, a week ago, whatever it it was. It detracts from that previous moment. There was no need. I, you know, keep her coming up on this dragon being like, what's up? That's fine. But she doesn't need a speech right now. They already have her. Or he already has that. She already has that. Not only that, but that was pretty much the Cal Drogo speech that he gave when they thought they were having this baby and he was talking to his Kalasar about how they're going to sail to the west and cross the salt sea like she basically took his speech and rehashed it yeah but that's kind of cool it is cool just like you said on the heels of the last moment that we yeah. just had another yelling dothraki speech it just didn't seem right it just here. didn't land as much and i think what they were trying to do is like i said you know the last time we saw her in the books was not her being taken to Vase Dothrak. It was the Kalasar finding her in the middle of the grasslands, mm-hmm. um, half naked, burnt by the sun, starving to death, standing next to her dragon, eating this raw chunk of charred meat with him on the ground, blood dripping down her face, chewing into it right alongside the dragon. So they walk up and they see her like this, and it's like, holy shit. <laughs> So she didn't really have that, and I think they were trying to capture it, but in two different moments, one where she comes out of the fire and the other one where she gets the cows on her side. So not just all the Dothraki people, but the leaders, the headstrong men, who she needed to do something more Mm -hmm. to show them, it's not just that I have magic, I'm strong, I am your alpha. You know, as much as she was showing that to the dragon, she was showing that to them too. Yes. I just don't think they quite handled that right. But, you know, still cool. We'll we'll give them that. And I wonder if the three blood rider thing is going to coincide with the three dragon thing and what we'll see as far as who will ride the other two. Okay. 
That was a lot to talk about. Let's go into our final couple of segments. There really was no wolf watch for this episode. Sorry to say. I'm not sorry. Thank goodness. No wolves died. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would have liked to see one, though, alive and well. Oh, yeah. True. <laughs> Apparently, we're not going to get that. We're down to our last two, but we can hope. <laughs> we can hope. <laughs> so, your raven rating for this episode, Jason. I give it seven ravens. Ooh, harsh Too on low? the episode five. Oh, this is your rating. Uh, no, and I don't mean that in a harsh way. Just that I have, to not show, bad. I have to show contrast from, I think I did nine last week. Yeah. Let me check. Yeah, I did nine last week. I just have to show some contrast. I mean, we're huge fans. So more likely, I mean, we could just say nine every week. Oh, but of course. This podcast, yeah. we want to, you know, uh, have some uh, actual legit thoughts. I'm going to give it seven. I loved it. It doesn't mean I don't love it. Um, it was a needed episode. This season would not be shit without this episode. I just, uh, I just, just have to show highlight. some contrast. Yeah, not the highlight. Well, I agree with you. I give it eight. I went higher. Um, you know, it's not the like we said, boom, boom, boom throughout the main characters and all the main stuff. But we hit enough of them. There was continuous progression. We got some really amazing moments like mm-hmm. the Benjamin Stark reveal that just shoot the episode right up for me as well as some of that minor character deep dive that was initially frustrating me but I think will be important in the storyline later and was done so elegantly mm-hmm. that I really give them credit for slowing it down after this breakneck pace that we've been running at through Game yes. of Thrones in a way that we weren't bored. Mm-hmm. like we have felt at other times, and we weren't like, all right, let's get back to Jon Snow. I mean, Jon Snow wasn't even in this episode, so to rank that high without my favorite character, they were doing a lot for you here. This show's amazing. And you know what? You made me feel self-conscious. I'm going to raise it to 7.5. <laughs> raise your stakes. Well, I like it. I'll see your 7.5 and give you who owns the throne this week. I gotta just start it off because it's it. no surprise that I give it to Benjen Stark. Oh, that was me too, Benjen Whitish Stark. <laughs> Benjen Coldhand Stark. I had a feeling you were gonna say that. Uh, that's mine too, but I'm gonna give it another one just for interest. Sure. The High Sparrow. Yep. If you give a secondary, you gotta think it goes to him. Yep. And this season, I've been giving like own the throne to a lot of the bad guys or antagonists. Yeah, well, I mean, if they're winning the day, what can what can you say really? Yep, they made it happen. Now I'm gonna throw a wrench in this. Who got owned? Yeah, they do this on some other podcasts oh, they do? too. But it's it's. See, worth, I don't listen to those. It's worth saying because well, let me give them a shout out here so we don't just look like we're not paying them any credit. There's an amazing podcast out there, which I don't think we need to worry because they're so far above us, but they're called Game of Owns, and they give their owns each week to different characters, oh. and sometimes before that, they will say, so-and-so got owned by, and it's really pretty true because essentially they're saying what you're saying here. When you talk about who owned, a lot of times you're thinking of a hero. Right. When you say who got owned, it's like what villain shot what other guy down. And that happens all the time on Game of Thrones. Let's be frank. So well, Now I feel like a shill. No, this is why I give them their shout okay. out. So <laughs> we love you, Game of Owns. I mean, we're not trying to steal your segment. Everybody's got their own uh, after the Thrones does who won the week. Yeah. And okay. everybody's got their own thing of like basically who's your VIP this week, right? So... 
for the good side, we say Benjamin Stark, who got their ass handed to them. Jamie. Jamie. And his sister. And Cersei. Well, yeah. yeah. Basically, we don't really Jamie know what and she's got the up family, her sleeve, but, but mainly Jamie. Jamie, got, Jamie got it hard. He lost his um, place. Edmure and... got it pretty hard, too. He's being held as a hostage since the Red Wedding. Right, yeah. So Where has this guy been? I mean, this I, I feel bad for him. For as much of a bumbling idiot as he was portrayed to be, bumbling. I don't want to see him. He's a Tully. Yeah. Hiding out in some jail cell. The phrase have hold of him since their Red Wedding. Uh, I was tempted to say that Walder Frey owned this week. In God his owned own or owned? Owned. Okay. In his own sneaky way. Kind of. But I think this was already the beginning of the end for him, mm-hmm. showing that Brynden had taken back the castle, and I know Jamie's on the way to help, but I think it's going to end poorly for him, and I hope he gets his comeuppance because he deserves it. Okay, before we uh, look through the heart tree, mm-hmm. I... Uh, I have uh, two segments. One I'm going to save for another day because we are running a little long. Mm-hmm. But I did watch uh, the new X-Men. Okay. And Sophia Turner. Is Sophie Turner. Sophie Turner. Yep. She is uh, she's Jean Grey. The younger Jean Grey in this. Uh, and she does really well. She's I really good. enjoyed her. And the X-Men, I'm kind of over X-Men a little bit. Um, there's a lot of boring parts. It even opens up a little boring. But it, it was... Uh, I still enjoyed it enough, and she was great in it. And I was just thinking, if she, if Sansa had Jean Grey's powers, mm-hmm. she would be able to just end it now, <laughs> end everyone, and get it's the Starks back. It's interesting you bringing that up, right? Because the Starks all seem to be coming into some sort of their own power, whether mm-hmm. it's actual powers and magic, like we see Bran learning. Arya training to become a killer, an assassin, flirting with whatever it is that the god of many faces has going on over there. John being brought back by Melisandre's power, resurrected from the dead. Plus, he's still got his dire wolf, theoretically, still got his sword. He's been Lord Commander in the Night's Watch. He's friend to wildlings. I mean, he's got power in his own right. Rickon is, of course, being held captive somewhere, but he has not really been a major character that we've mm-hmm. been able to see develop at all, whereas Santa has mm-hmm. been a major character who has had everything robbed from her and is yes. supposed to be coming into her own power now. I don't see that yet at all. And e- even if she's getting there, certainly not yet. So Different I wonder kind of what it is, why we haven't seen her get any of that, and if she ever will. I think her power is going to be the politics of, of ruling. That's going to be her, what she's going to be good at. If so, she's got to come a long way in a short time. I mean, we don't have that much Game of Thrones left yeah. when you think about it. She did manage to get Jon Snow to do what she needed, though. Yes, but he loves her. True, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's a very good point. I'll be excited to see what happens with their storyline. Hopefully we'll get back to Jon Snow and Sansa and the North in the next episode. So upcoming, sneak peek through the heart tree, episode seven, The Broken Man. It's going to be directed by Mark Millad. So we're going to go back to one of our veteran Game of Thrones directors for seven and eight. It will be written by Brian Cogman again, same guy that wrote this episode. And the description of it is the high sparrow eyes another target. 
Jamie faces a hero, Arya makes a plan, the North is reminded. Hmm. Some of that's obvious. Um, Arya makes a plan, plan to get out of the House of Black and White, plan to kill the wave. The North is reminded, we assume that this is John and Sansa's mission to go tell these houses mm-hmm. like they said they were gonna do. The High Sparrow eyes another target. Who's his next target? That's a good question. And Jamie faces a hero. Is it the hero Brendan holding River Run for the Tullys? Or is it like we suspect Brienne come down on her heroic mission oh. for Sansa with Oathkeeper to turn him away from the darkness of Cersei and back to the light that he managed to find with Brienne when they made that very good promise to the Stark children. Or is it a decision he has to make on his own and faces his decision that could make him a hero or a villain or something like that? And that plays into both, actually. True. The Broken Man, looking forward to that, looking forward to finding out what does the Broken Man even mean? Who are we referencing? So I think of Reek when you say Broken Man. Theon, absolutely. He's got to be the number one on everyone's mind. You have the physically broken down and rebuilt mountain monster. Mm -hmm. You have... Snow. Snow is broken in a way, I suppose. Um, We could definitely see Jamie getting to that point at some some stage. Yeah. Uh, This this could really go a lot of ways. It's going to be interesting. All right, that wraps up this episode along. We're at an hour 40. Oh, sorry about that. Jeez, and we thought last time was the one where yeah. there was so much going on. We just want to uh, ask you again to spread the word. We are building, and it's very nice. The numbers are, are going up, and uh, we really do appreciate it. And also, uh, we talked about this like a year or two ago. Uh, just a reminder that we have two channels. We have the CKC podcast, and we have the... Coffee Clash Crew Game of Thrones episode review podcast. Now, when we do Game of Thrones, and basically when we do any of the shows that we do, I actually put them on both of our feeds. Mm. But uh, when we do just CKC Hangout Cast, where we talk about like news and and we drink and we have some clown around time, <laughs> that's just on the CKC podcast channel. So if you're not on that, uh, be sure to take a look at that. Uh, I will be frank with you when we're doing game of thrones it's such it's a lot of work so we actually don't really do the ckc group casts but we will be going back on that uh and having some fun with that perhaps we will be going on with mr robot eventually too we'll have to take a look and see how that goes we know a lot of you really enjoyed the mr robot podcast last time we appreciate you tuning in for that Just one last note, like we said, GOT podcasts do come up under both. Unfortunately, you can't find it by searching Game of Thrones. So we're hoping to perhaps have that be the case eventually. For now, you do need to search for us under Coffee Clatch Crew, CKC. That's how you can remember that. So spread the word. If you know people that are looking for a Game of Thrones, remember Coffee Clatch Crew and ask them to search for that. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, CKC Podcast, Facebook, and our website. Until next time, this round's on me. This round is on me. Flesh of my flesh, blood of my blood. Flesh of my flesh, blood of my blood. <laughs> <laughs>
and try again.